Joe Paterno was one of the most respected coaches in all of coaching history, whether it be football, basketball, whatever it is, uh, especially in the college sports. And he was so respected for many reasons. One is because he was just so faithful. He, is, he was at Penn State since 1950, over 60 years. He started there as an assistant coach, became a head coach. He turned out other jobs to stay at Penn State. But he was also so widely known because he had great success there. Just a few weeks ago, he became the all-time winningest coach in Division 1A history. But he was also a legend because of his character. Many people use the term student-athlete very carelessly, but they took it very seriously. They had a high graduation rate. And Joe was as interested in the player as a person as he was as an athlete. And so he even came up with the motto, Success with honor. As many of you know, this week Joe Paterno was fired. Uh, He was fired because one of his assistant coaches had inappropriate relationships with children. And Joe notified his superiors, uh, but did not notify the police. And Joe, in his own admission, would say, I could have done more. But you see, sometimes our heroes, sometimes those that we look up to, the faithful, those that we create a mythology around, fall. Often they fall. And it's not just isolated to sports, is it? We can look at politics and see politicians that we very much respect and very much are for and very much are excited about and have very high dreams for. And then they fall due to some sort of scandal, whether it be sexual or financial. They fall. Maybe in the business world, even in the church. We know pastors who fall because they have struggles and they're dismissed from ministry because they have chosen to run away from God and chosen to pursue sin. And what we'll see today is that the Bible is no different. The church today is no different. Heroes fall. Heroes sin. If you were here last week, we talked about the call on Abram's life. God called Abram out of Ur, out of his hometown, to leave everything that was familiar to him and to follow God to an unknown place, an unknown land, a promised land. In the book of Hebrews, it credits Abram as being a hero in the faith because of his faith. Just read to you very quickly. It says, by faith, Abram obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. And so Abram is this example of faith to the church, an example of faith to Christians. But he's also an example of a failure in faith. And that's what we're going to read about today. Open up to Genesis chapter 12. If you are in the Red Bible, it's page 9. And we will be reading verses 10 and 12, 10, chapter 12, verse 10 through 13, verse 4. If you would, please read along with me and then keep your Bibles open as we work through this text today. Genesis 12, 10. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance. 
And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princess of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. Let's pray. God, as we read the story of Abram and see his faithlessness, let us not pass judgment on him, but see in our own hearts how we have failed to follow your call in our life, God. We have abandoned you to pursue our own interests, our own sin, our own rebellion. God, pray that you would help us to see what a gracious and glorious God you are, and that today we will rejoice in the joy of our salvation. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, as we look at Joe Pa's story and we look at Abram's story, it's very much like my story. There are times in my life where I could look and see how by the grace of God, I've been faithful to God by his grace. But there are so many more times in my life that I can point and say, I was so faithless. I pursued things I knew I shouldn't have pursued. I have run away from God. Maybe you can relate to that story. And today what we get to see is how does God treat us when we run away from him? How does he treat us when we run from the promised land into Egypt? What does he do with us? Does he smite us? Does he say, fine, I don't need you anyways, go on. What does God do? First, let's look at Abram's faithlessness. His first act of faithlessness here is abandoning the land. Look in 12.1, if you would, with me. This is what we read last week. It says, <coughs> Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now here's the amazing thing. God made all of these promises to Abram. Maybe you remember them from last week, that he would be a people. they grow to a nation, a promised land, God's presence, uh, his, his, his blessing on them. And God only gave Abram one command, go to the land. That's what you're supposed to do, go to the land. That is the simple command. That is the place you will receive your blessing. That's where you will receive a time of worship with me. Go to the land. And so that was the one command that God had 
for Abram. But when he got to Egypt, the circumstances got difficult. That's the way it is sometimes, isn't it? Actually, all the time. When you follow God, it does not mean life is perfect. Difficult things arrive. For Abram, it was a famine in the land. And so we read what Abram does in verse 10. It says, Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Now, the, Egypt was a very attractive place to go in the midst of a famine because the Nile was there, and it was a very fertile region. And so Abram was attracted to that and said, I will go there. Now we may read this story and say, well, what's, what's wrong with Abram going there? See, Abram was responding to his circumstance, not to the call of God. Abram was looking at the difficulty of his life, and he abandoned God's call on his life. And he went down to Egypt. You see, God had called him to the promised land, not to starve him, but to bless him. But Abram didn't believe that. And Abram went to Egypt. Throughout the Bible, (coughs) going to Egypt was symbolic of running away from God. Unless God told them to go to Egypt, it was symbolic of running away from God. Isaiah 31.1 actually expresses this. It says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses. And so they go to Egypt because they don't trust in God, they trust in man. And they look and they search and they grab for their own provisions. And they run away from God to do it. Who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. This is exactly what Abram was doing. Abram was running from God because he was scared. He moved from faithfulness to fear. And he ran to Egypt to pursue and secure his own possessions, his own comfort, not trusting that God had brought him to bless him in the land. We see that Abram goes on. Not only does he abandon his land, he also abandons his wife. Look at verse 11 with me, if you would. It says, When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me. But they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Now, just pause there for a second. There's two notes that I want to point out. First off is that Abram was asking his wife to tell a half-truth because she was his half-sister. They had same dad, different mom. In that day, there was nothing wrong with that. Uh, But she was his half-sister. And so he says, just tell him that part of the story. Don't tell him that you're my wife. But the other amazing thing here is that Sarai was 65 years old and she still had it going on. You know, I mean... She was still hot. Like he knew, I'm going to go into Egypt. There's going to be all these women. He's going to have a harem. And the Pharaoh's still going to want you, right? That's a blessing from the Lord. All right. Continue on. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Abram's deception potentially put a lot at stake. Uh, The first thing, obviously, is his marriage, right? Uh, Sarai was his wife. Uh, You know, what he did was hideous. Abram literally prostituted his wife. 
Abram was a gigolo, all right? He was a pimp. He was pimping out his wife. Because what does a pimp do? A pimp trades sex for money, right? That's what Abram was doing. This is your hero in the faith. If he was your pastor, he would be fired and never let back into the ministry. And rightfully so. But Abram trades his wife. He prostitutes her out that it may go well with him. That's literally what he says. So that he can live and so that he can be rich. You know, I know some of you women are thinking, why is my husband not more like the heroes in the faith in the Bible? Be careful what you ask for, all right? The heroes are failures in the faith. He prostitutes her out. You know, Abram goes on, you know, Abram left the land that he was supposed to stay in. And he probably thought to himself, you know, I'm going to leave the land and I'm just going to go down there for a while, eat some food, drink some water. God won't even know I'm gone. It's going to go fine. You know, this is what sin is like in our life. You know, we see the situation, whatever the difficulty is, whatever the famine is, and we say, you know, we're just going to run to Egypt for a while. God won't even know we're gone. It's going to be great. And then I'll come back. But it spirals out of control. And you can see that with Sarai. He has to surrender her over. He's in fear of his own life. This past week, I watched the movie River Runs Through It. Never seen it before. Uh, It's a story of a Presbyterian pastor with two blonde-haired little boys. And it reminded me of my own sons, Corbin and Caleb, running through the field. And as the boys grew older, one continued to go to church, to pursue the Lord, to be faithful to his dad. But the other didn't. He had this secret life going on. He ran to Egypt, if you would say. He started going to the casinos late at night. And really, it was hidden from everyone. It was kind of his secret sin. His friends knew about it a little bit. His brother knew about it a little bit, but they didn't know the pervasiveness of it. And so he goes there, and I'm sure he's thinking, you know what? I could use a little bit of money. I'll go there. I'll come back. Nobody will know. It will be fine. I will be unharmed, and I will have more money. But as the story goes along, he ends up getting into great debt. Uh, He's actually tortured and murdered because sin always takes us further than we want to go and keeps us longer than we want to stay. There's no escaping to Egypt and returning unharmed. You know, I don't know what the difficult circumstances in your life. All of us have it. All of us use it as a crutch, as an excuse to flee to Egypt, to flee to sin. Maybe you're a single person and you think, you know, I'm single. God made me single. I'm bitter and I'm angry and I'm going to pursue any relationship that's out there, whether it's good or bad for me. Maybe you're married and your marriage is difficult and you say, you know, I'm going to be harsh towards my spouse, because they deserve it. And you're not following the call of God to love them as Christ loved the church. Maybe you're a student, and life is busy, and homework is a lot. And so you say, you know, I'm just going to copy someone's homework. It's not a big deal. See, that's how sin goes. We say, you know, it's, it's not going to, nothing's going to come of it. But it always takes us further than we want to go. It keeps us longer than we want to stay. See, our difficulty is that we see our circumstances, but we don't look to the Lord of our circumstances. And we don't say, God, life is difficult, but I'm going to stay here in Canaan in fellowship and in worship of you. And that's what God calls us to do here. You see, the difficult situations in your life, just like in Abram's life, are meant for a purpose. They are meant to conform you into the image of Christ. Romans 8 tells us about that. 
but he conforms you into the image of Jesus that he might draw you closer to himself. And so even the difficult situations, although we can mourn and grieve over them because they aren't fun, God has a purpose for all of them, which is to draw us closer to himself and to show his glory. But Abram left that and ran to Egypt. So how does the Lord respond to Abram's unfaithfulness? Well, we see that the Lord responds with faithfulness. Look at verse 12.3 with me, if you would. <coughs> the Lord made this promise to Abram. He, God says to Abram, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And we actually see God fulfilling that promise in the story of Abram going down to Egypt, even in the midst of his rebellion. Look at verse 17. It says, but the Lord, right? The Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And so here is Pharaoh, ignorant of Sarai's marital status, ignorant of Sarai's Lord and God, but he is dishonoring Abram. He's dishonoring Abram's family. And so the Lord fulfills his promise and brings curses upon him. He brings plagues upon him. Same sort of plagues that we see later in Exodus that God brings upon all the Egyptians when he delivers his people. And so God is faithful to his promise to curse those who dishonor Abram. But we also see that he's faithful to his promise to bless Abram. Look with me, if you would, in verse 16. It says, And for her sake, Sarai's sake, Pharaoh dealt with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, Male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. And then if you look in 13.2, it says, Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. Now this is absolutely amazing. I don't know how Abram could possibly do worse in rebelling against God. And yet God says, I'm still true to my promises. I'm still true to my calling to you. I will bless you. You know, there is something very important in this passage for us today. An amazing truth. That when we run from God, His blessings are still upon us. When we run from God, His calling is still upon our lives. When we run from God, the call of God is still effective. The promises of God are still effective. And this is great news for us. Because it's not if we will run to Egypt, but when we run to Egypt, will the Lord still be faithful to us? Will he still love us? Will he still care for us? And the answer is yes. And we see it here in the story of Abram. 1 Peter 5.10 puts it this way. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. The promise is this, that when we are faithless, God is still faithful. For those who have been called to God through Jesus Christ, no matter where you go, no matter where you flee, God's calling is still upon your life. And right there it says it's by grace. And he has called you to what? To the eternal glory of Christ. And so I don't know where you're at today. You may come in and hear you're, you're a mess and you're like, I am an utter failure. I have professed faith in Jesus Christ. I have trusted Christ, but I have failed so horribly. This is such good news to us that God's calling is still sure on our life. And so we see 
the Lord is faithful. We also see the Lord pursuing Abram. Uh, we see that through fatherly discipline. I'll just summarize. In Hebrews 12, he talks about how the Lord disciplines his children. Just like an earthly parent would discipline his child. If he loves him, he will discipline him. If an earthly father doesn't discipline a kid, then it's an illegitimate child. And so it says, because the Lord loves you, he will discipline you as his child. You know, in my house, we have a stove. And above the stove, of course, is empty and there's a microwave. And above the microwave, there's two cupboards. And in one of those cupboards is where we have our candy bowl, right? All the candy we got from Halloween for like a year is up there in that bowl. And it is amazing how our kids become expert climbers. It's like they could, they could, they could you know, summit Mount Everest. They climb up the oven, which is dangerous. And then, they, and then they hold on to the microwave, pull themselves up, open the door, pull out the bucket, we'll take out candy, put it back, and get back down. Now, a lot of times they try to do that without letting know, mom and dad know. And so we catch them. And, and what, do, what would a loving father do? Would a lover, loving father say, hey, that's all right. You know, eat as much candy as you want. Get sick to your stomach. Steal from me. Steal from people in the future. No. A loving father loves their kids too much to not discipline them. And this is what God is doing to Abram. He is disciplining him. And he does it through Pharaoh. Look at verse 18. It says, So Pharaoh called Abram and said, Why is it that you, What is it that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. This must have been like a cup of cold water in Abram's, Abram's face. Here is a man that does not know the Lord God, does not know the true God, and he is teaching Abram about morality. He is rebuking him. This is God disciplining his child in love. You know, this week a friend asked me if uh, I have experienced the discipline of God, the loving discipline of God. And I thought, what's that look like, you know? Have you experienced the loving discipline of God in your life? Well, how's that come? You know, for me, one way that I see it that I think is through sickness. I've, been, I've had this cough for like a month. Uh, we know that, that sickness doesn't always mean God is disciplining you. We can look at the book of Job and know that's true. But could God possibly use sickness in your life to discipline you? To say, listen, slow down. Focus on me. Pursue me. I am what you need. Look at your family. Spend time with your family. Stop working so much. Slow down. Could it be that God would do that? Even through heartaches, through depression, through sadness, through apathy. Could God be disciplining us to say, come back to me. Come back to Canaan. Because that's what he's doing with Abram here. And what's so important is that when God disciplines us, it's not because he wants to set the record straight, because he wants to get even, because all of that was done at the cross. But he does it to bring you back to himself, to bring you back to to his presence, to bring you back to Canaan. And that's what we see here, his fatherly prodding. Look at the second half of verse 19. It says, Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. And so Pharaoh sent men to escort them out of the land. And so we see the Lord pursues Abram to bring him back to himself. And then we see Abram's response to the Lord. And it's to pursue the Lord. First we see he returns to the land. 
verse 1 through 3 talks about this, that he goes back into the land, that he goes to the Negev, but continues on to Bethel and to Ai. He didn't return to Ur, his hometown. He didn't return to Haran. He returned back to the promised land where God's presence was. But he also returned to worship. Look at verse 3 with me. It says, And Abram journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. You know, I, I have to think, that Abram knew that he had rebelled against God, that he had fled from God to Egypt. And yet God, by his grace, still blessed him. Still blessed him by disciplining, or by, by, uh, by cursing Pharaoh, by giving him heaven, or fatherly discipline, by pouring out his financial blessing on him. And because of that, he said, God, I am so unworthy, but my delight is to worship you. I had a friend, uh, I have a friend who in his college years came to faith in Christ. And he was an avid churchgoer and even a leader in the church uh, up through his 20s. But then he decided to walk away from the church. He decided to walk away from his family. He left his wife, his kid, his church, and he went all the way across the country. And there he started another life with another wife, with no God, no church, no nothing. Well, when that second marriage failed after 20 years, he thought to himself, when in my life was I the happiest? When in my life did I have the most joy? And he came to his senses and he said, it's when I was worshiping God. It's when I was a part of the church. This is the same thing Abram is realizing, that there is nothing good about being in Egypt. Come back to the Lord. Maybe this could be the time. Maybe the Lord is calling you back to himself now to come back to church, to come back to his presence, to come back to worshiping him as you were called to do. Let me just wrap up here real quickly. Um, This book of Genesis was written by who? Anyone know? Moses, right? When do you think Moses wrote this book? Probably, probably when he was wandering in the wilderness with Israel, right? You know, God had called Israel as a people up out of Egypt. He would brought them to the cusp of the promised land, said, go and take it. And they said, no, we're afraid, right? Two men said, let's go. The rest said, we're too afraid. And so they rebelled against God, similar to Abram, and they went out into the wilderness, What a comfort it would have been to them to read this story and to say, look at the God of Abram. The God of Abram is my God too. It is a God who is faithful when we are faithless. It is a God who will not abandon us. A God who will discipline us out of love, but will bring us back to himself. You see, as we look at the heroes of the Bible, we all see that they're failures. You look at Adam You look at Noah, you look at Abram, as the story goes on, the the trajectory continues. The heroes in the faith are failures in the faith. All but one. All but Jesus. See, all these people will fail you, but Jesus Christ never will. Jesus Christ came to this earth to pursue you. He didn't come to Egypt, he came to the earth where you were sojourners, wandering, rebelling against God. And said, I will bring you back to myself. And he did that by taking your sin, your rebellion upon himself, 
and paying for in full on the cross that we can now engage in worship with God. Where are you at this morning? Are you in Egypt, pitching tents, camping out? Hear the God of the universe calling you back to himself. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that you don't just let us wander in Egypt. That you love us as your children enough to discipline us, God. And call us back into your presence, Lord. God, so often we feel like we're far from you. And we think it's because of something that you have done, God. But we know it's because we have run from you, God. Lord, we're so thankful that you pursue us. And that you bring us back to yourself. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Matthew 26, 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to